Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is what Brother Shatwell said this. This is what I heard, which actually parallels what's he, what he was saying. We are so addicted to doing it Pentecostally that we don't realize how little trust we have in the supernatural. There wasn't anything he said that was outside of God's ability. But everything he said can only happen supernaturally. We've got to redefine what a good sermon is. Not according to our culture, but according to the Word of God. A good sermon has a demonstration of the Spirit and power of God that your faith would not rest in the preacher or his eloquence, but in God. Is it possible that our, our goal of oratory is intended to focus the attention on us? And not on Jesus? When it's, when it's over with, where do they put their, their faith, their trust? When you're through, finished preaching... Where are people pointed to put their trust? My, he can preach. I, 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 he can preach. Boy, he can preach. Yeah, that was really good. Oh, I, I, yeah. What about ye are dead and your lives are hid with Christ in God? Where's that kind of preaching at? Where is that kind of preaching? Let's, let's, let's just talk for This is his message. This isn't mine. I'm just, he just said, here's the mic. Okay? Let's ask the Lord right now to ask him to help us to switch our trust from our abilities to his spirit so that our ministries would point people to him and not to us. Come on. Whatever words you want to say that in, however you feel to pray that, and the results give the indication. The results will prove whether you're trusting your abilities, your intellect, your ability to string words together, your ability to have impressive thoughts, or whether or not people get closer to Jesus because of the word they just heard. Come on, let's pray it. Come on, let's pray it. Let's pray that. In Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. My, 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 my. Come on, there's something deep happening in this place right now. Come on. Come on. Let's don't shrug it away with our, with our calendar. We've all come, most of us have all come from a long way off to get here. Where are we in a hurry to go today? What, what, what are we in a hurry to do? Can't we wait on the Lord a little bit here? Come on. Can't we let this, the Word and the Spirit soak into our beings a little bit here? In the name of Jesus.
In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Jesus name. Jesus name. Jesus name. Jesus name. I'm going to give it, but not like you, okay? I want you to listen to me, please. This is a prophecy. This is not the gift of prophecy. Take that however you want to do it. Whatever label you want to put on that's not my problem. This is a prophecy. This is not a, the operation of the gift of prophecy. This is my 21st year here. First four years, five years was under global conquest. And then brother, uh, this church took over that meeting. And then there was a shift to the focus being home missionaries, which was absolutely the perfect will of God. I'm a home missionary. When I went to Annapolis, Maryland, there was nobody but a 24-year-old kid and a 19-year-old wife. There was nobody. This church was started as a daughter work out of an established work pastored by Jerry Wayne Dillon. He was so moved on by God, he gave up the established work to take over the pastorate of the daughter work he started. Brother Mark Morgan will preach on Friday night. is a home missionary pastor in San Francisco. We're not blowing smoke, brethren. Been there doing that. Okay? If I'm not mistaken, Brother uh, Morgan, Brother Shatwell, and I have been the primary day speakers here for about 13 years. I'm saying this, this isn't judging anybody. This is just timing of God. But I'm telling you in the Holy Ghost, there's something about this group. It's just there's a, there's a difference here. And that's not, that there's, a, there's folks that would like to have come, but there's just no way to accommodate them. And so, I mean, people that have been here before that wanted to come back, you couldn't accommodate them. But there's something about this group that God has a special work he's going to do in you to send you forth to do through you. I'm as certain of that as I'm breathing this second. I, I believe in hearing from God. I do not preach if I don't hear from I do not preach if I don't hear from God. I don't do it. I don't do it. I've never been in this pulpit that I didn't believe I had a word from God. But I will say this to you. As I was leaving this meeting last year, I knew what I was going to be preaching or teaching this year. And the Lord has spent an entire year preparing me for my part of this. Including an eight and a half month long battle with breast cancer for my wife all a part of a journey I know a little bit about what brother Morgan's going through brother Shatwell's going through this church is going through <sighs> there are 
Brother Kinsey, there are no inexpensive sermons or lessons taught from this pulpit in this conference. You, would, you wouldn't even be, begin to imagine the price tag on this stuff. You can tell the difference between a sermon that's written to impress or, and spoken to impress and one that somebody has paid a high price to be able to share it with you. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Brother Chatwell didn't stop because of a schedule. He stopped because that was all you were able to receive right now. And that's not, I'm not, not an indictment. I'm going to explain that. But that's all you were able to receive. We are so used to hearing preaching, we don't know how to receive prophetic speaking. We ought to be experts in it, but we're not. This was not preaching or teaching today. He was speaking prophetically. It was prophetically. Praise God. You can be seated. Thank you. I started to say I got some controversial things to say today. But some of you would have this, the laughing, I got it, okay. When have I not had controversial things to say? I am not going to be allowed to hammer a point until there's no wiggle room left on it this trip. Can't do it. All I can say to you is this. I never make a statement or write a statement that I'm not ready to defend to the nth degree. I don't make casual statements. I don't care how, I don't care how casual it may seem to you. I don't make casual statements. So there's some things that I, that I have absolutely, I'm absolutely compelled to share with you that... Some of you from your traditional situation are going to just go crazy over. And I'm, I don't have the time to just absolutely nail it down. I, I was just looking over some notes early this morning on a couple of these things and realized I, I can't even bring notes to the pulpit because I'd get too sidetracked trying to prove the point. And uh, this is for those who are receiving. I have prayed for you today. It's not enough to pray to be anointed yourself. There has to be a prayer. We have to pray and believe that God will anoint the hearers. There has to be a connection. A single wire going to the plug doesn't work. It, it, there's two strands to every wire. There's one for the electricity to go that way. It's a connection. There's got to be a connection. And only when the loop is closed with no shorts is any power demonstrated. Praise God. <laughs> oh, Jesus.
there are some of you sitting here, all of us to some degree, who can't receive a word like this, not because you don't believe God can do those things. You just don't believe God can do those things for you. The adversary does not care if you believe God can do anything as long as you never believe God can do anything through you. It is not faith to say God can do anything. It is only faith to say God can do anything through me. That's faith. There's no impersonal faith. The first is an acknowledgement. The second is faith. The first is what the church world does. That's what they call faith, a mental acknowledgement of the truthfulness of a fact. We see how that affects their lives. Oh, you're right. It doesn't affect their lives. That's why they have to teach doctrines that you don't have to change to be saved because mental acknowledgement of something accomplishes nothing. It releases nothing. Faith has got to become personal for, th for God to be able to operate. Now, you don't know where I'm going. That's okay, right? I'm, I'm easing up on you. <laughs> okay. Oh, Jesus. If you'd put on the screen the scriptures for me, please. Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 27. I want to read to you some very familiar, intellectually familiar. Uh, go to verse 28, I'm sorry. And one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all. Next verse. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is here. The implication of the word is not just physically, audibly hearing the statement, but receiving the statement, believing it to the point that it personally affects you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But now, here's where it changes. Next verse. This is a part of the greatest commandment. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. Next verse. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Because of the grammatical rules, both in English and Greek, of grammar governing redundancy, there is a word that's not there, but we automatically supply it in our minds. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as you love yourself, in the same manner in which you love yourself. Through the same methodology, 
that you love yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. These two, two commandments define the three most important relationships in life. Notice, there's nothing in these commandments that talk about God's relationship with man. It's talking about the three most important relationships that we have. Loving God, loving others, and loving myself. Now, <laughs> some of you haven't heard this, so for, forgive me for those of you that have heard it. I was born in February of 46, just about six months after the United Pentecostal Church was organized. My mother was attending one of the founding United Pentecostal Churches. I've been in this all my life. I received the Holy Ghost at age 12. I've known nothing else but this. I am not anti this fellowship. I'm not anti my brethren. I'm not anti anything except those things that are contrary to the word of God. No matter how much we love them. And there are some things we do love that are not in harmony with the word of God. And I'm not talking about Acts 2.38 and holiness. I'm talking about methodologies and some concepts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, when I was a kid, you would never use the word liturgy about a, one of our services because that is, a, that is a formal Protestant term. Well, liturgy simply means you have a repeatable religious church service pattern. Now, tell me we don't have a Pentecostal liturgy. And I like to use the word liturgy just to rub the point in. If your services are predictable, you have a Pentecostal liturgy. And you know the difference between us and them? We don't have to print ours up. We got it memorized. And our people hold us to that liturgy more than the, the other folks do. And if you don't believe that, just try to change the pattern. That's what I'm talking about, okay? That's what I'm talking about. Sunday night, we walked into service. The pastor of Antioch stood to the pulpit, flipped on his iPad and said, let's all stand. He read his scripture and preached. Preached for about an hour and 15 minutes, hour and a half. This is Sunday night. This past Sunday night. There was nobody went to the keyboard, drums, no praise singers. Preached. Took a little while for them to get on board, but when they did, we had to move with God. Because folks didn't like the fact that they didn't have all that downtime in the spirit where they could just coast through preaching and have a chance, or singing, and have a chance to get all prepared to resist the preaching. 
I tweeted his main thought. He preached the pendulum of bondage. And he preached that God delivers you from bondage to sin so that you can come into bondage to Jesus. That's book. Study it. Paul confessed he was a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said that God doesn't set you free from sin so you can run your own life. You can imagine how that message went over starting service with it. But that's what, that's what, that's what he did. And boy, was there, were they uncomfortable with the liturgy being. <clears throat> but God moved, which is the bottom line. And a move of God I'm talking about doesn't mean people shouted and danced and clapped their hands and stood to their feet. A move of God is when there's a supernatural manifestation that affects lives permanently. Amen. People that aren't hungry that come to the table they're worried about presentation. And manners. And whether or not you're using the right utensil. And dab your mouth just so. And hold your finger out on whatever you're drinking, even if it's water, just properly because you're not hungry. It's, it's just a performance. It's not a meal. But when hungry people come to the table, all that stuff goes out the window. When hungry people come to the table. When hungry people come to the table. Is there any hungry people in here? Anybody hungry? John, John 4.19 says we love him because he first loved us. I have to be willing to receive his love to give love. In the verses that I read to you, the word love in the Greek that's translated there is uh, agape. It's not, which is supernatural love. It's not natural love. I can only love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength as he supernaturally empowers me by his spirit to give that to him. There is nothing I can give him in love and devotion that obeys that commandment if it's offered from my humanity. It can only be agape love. And God alone is the source of agape love. And I can't love him until I first let him love me. I've got to receive agape to be able to give agape. But what if I have things in my life from my past or even my present that affects my feelings about my ability to be loved? And God is trying to love me, but I'm not receiving it. And faith 
works by love. So therefore, if we, I love him because, for this reason, on this account, through this agency, I love him because he first loved us. And I receive, I believe that love. The first couple of verses earlier in that, 1 John 4, 16 says that we know and believe the love he has for us. The word love there is epigonosco, which means to know by experience. It's experiential love. It's not, it's not intellectual love or emotional love. It's experiential love. We know and believe. The word there, believe, is you trust in, you rely upon it, you cling to it, you give yourself to it, you trust it. We know and believe the love that God has for us. Uh, he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. The next verse. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And I know, I know the day of judgment. But the Greek word there for judgment is K-R-I-S-I-S. From which we get the English word crisis. And people that have not been able to receive the love of God, every time something doesn't go the way it's supposed to, they think it ought to go. Every time a bad thing happens to them, every time negative stuff happens to them, they think God is mad at them or God is punishing them. So their whole relationship with God is performance-based. I don't know about you, but in my experience of Pentecost, I was raised to perform. And, and, and even as a kid, be good and I'll do this or be good and I'll whatever. Be good and, and mom and dad will love you. Oh, so you don't love me if I'm not good? And God doesn't love me if I'm not good? It's a whole big difference between loving somebody and approving of what they're doing. He loves you whether he approves of what you're doing or not. He still loves you. And the only way my performance or my actions will ever be a, a pleasing to him and ever come to a place of being approved by him is when I receive that love as a gift that I cannot earn and will never deserve. And then his love working in me produces faith and that faith will produce actions called obedience. And Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, if you love me, keep my commandments. The love of God is the only ability by which I can obey God. You can get saved out of the fear of God. But you can't stay saved except by the love of God. I'm going to say that again. You can, you can get sinners saved by the fear of God. But if somewhere in there you don't begin to immediately teach them how much God loves them, they won't stay saved because what you end up having to do then is preach fear every service. The problem is if the stuff you're making them feel afraid of doesn't immediately come to pass, then you lose credibility. And you can't hold them like that. You can't keep people saved by hanging them over hell. And you know who does that? 
people that don't believe God loves them. Because we love others as we love ourselves. I can't love you if I don't love me. I can't forgive you if I can't forgive me. That's Bible. That's Bible. And Paul said, what do you have you didn't receive? And if you received it, why are you boasting in it? But you can't receive any other way. But based on the foundation of the love of God. I have to believe He loves me enough to receive what He's given me even though I know I'm unworthy. I have to receive out of love. I can't love God. I can't love others. If I can't let him help me to love myself. I'm not talking about self-worth. There's a difference between self-love and loving self. That's not semantics. Self-love is positive feelings about yourself based on your performance. Something you have accomplished so that you can strut your stuff. But loving self based on God's love for you or realizing your worth to God based on what He's done to save you and what He does for you, that's completely different. It's not semantics. It's the whole difference in the world. (laughs) And I sat here feeling this powerful word going forth this morning and feeling precious people just struggling to try to get a handle on it. And you just couldn't, couldn't get a handle on it because God would never do that for me. God wouldn't do that for me. He might do that for Jerry Dillon. He might do that for Mark Morgan or David Chad. He's not going to do that for me. You guys are on the platform. He does that for people on the platform. He doesn't do it for me. I've had people tell me, well, don't do too much for your kids. You'll spoil them. That's not what spoils kids. You can give all you want as long as you're also willing to say no and mean it. Because the problem is this. We want to withhold what we can do for our kids because we don't have the guts to also say no and mean it. So in order to try to preserve ourselves from being the bad guy, we're not a good... Hello. You can't give too much to your kids if you're also willing to say no and mean it and mean it. (laughs) Your father knows what you have need of. Your father knows what you have need of. <laughs> I listened to what, what what the Holy Ghost said was saying through you that he wanted to do and was willing to do for people. Going to do. I pray by the time this meeting is over with, it is going to do it. 
It's only going to be going to do for those that receive it. Some are going to leave this meeting and say, I knew that was just hype. Didn't happen for me. Well, let me tell you what. We don't discuss what we're going to speak on before we get here. We listen to the Holy Ghost. I didn't know God was going to say all this stuff to him. But here's my part. That's his part. Brother Morgan's got his part. Brother Dylan, Brother Kinsey, Brother Stone King tonight. Everybody's got their part. Well, here's my part. Is to minister to you in the Holy Ghost to help remove the barriers that are keeping you from receiving and believing. Jesus' name. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Jesus' name. I know there's not a lot happening right now. But if you are being sensitive to the Holy Ghost, there's something really deep going on in here. Not because of me. This is all God's idea. Now, what's, what's the problem? What is it that's keeping us from being able to let God love us? What is it that does that? I'll tell you what it is. And before you dismiss it, just give me a few minutes. We're not whole. We're not whole. Oh, but I've I've been baptized. I received the Holy Ghost. No, that was salvation. That's not holiness. It's not. Well, I don't believe that. Oh, then everybody in your church, the promise in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 is absolutely the truth for them. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. So all of your people, all their old stuff has passed away, and they're brand new. They've been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost. So all their old stuff is gone, and they're brand new? Really? Is there one person here that would dare to say that? I got some I've been ministering to for 30-plus years. It's still not whole. Because they can't get past their, the obstacle in them that will allow God to make them whole without them earning it or deserving it. And you will never do that. If you give your body to be burned, there's no profit in it. If you give all your goods to the poor, Paul said, there's no profit in it. There's nothing you can do for God that will earn you enough points with Him that He will do for you because you earned it. If you cannot receive, learn to receive from God as a, as a gift of the Father to His children, you're never going to see anything from God. Not whole. Not whole. Here's verse. Just like Brother Shatwell's is two parts, mine's two parts. There's going to be some ministry today, but most of this is preparation. Tomorrow's going to be mostly ministry. 
1 Thessalonians 5.23. And while that's being put on the screen, let me say this to you. I love the King James Version. But it's a translation. It's not the Bible. The Bible is only the Bible, and it's the original languages. There is no divinely inspired translation. We are not Mormons. The King James is not a divinely inspired translation. It is a translation. And it was translated by the Anglican Church that we now call Episcopalian because the Anglican Church was the state church of England under King James, who was the head of the Protestant church. We had that kind of situation in the past, you know, with Constantine, who was an unbaptized unbeliever who was the head of the church and dared to call church councils as an unbaptized unbeliever to dictate doctrine. Right. I mean, that's why we got the word baptized. That's a Greek word. It's not an English word. But they couldn't translate the word because it would have contradicted the doctrines of the state church of England. So they had special dispensation to bring the Greek word into the English, knowing that the 99% wouldn't know what the English or the Greek word meant, and then they could define it any way they wanted to. And there are some verses that you read. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I got some good software programs. My youngest son has been taking some classes through UGST. And he, we were talking the other day, and he informed me that the official position is that the Strong's Dictionary is not acceptable in intellectual religious circles today because it's out of date. Wait a minute. I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can read. And there's way too many Greek scholarly books that have a lot more than just giving you the meaning of the words. They got some interpretation in there. In the dictionary, it's got some interpretation. And if you read enough of them, you begin to see that. So I don't know about UGST's official position, but I trust Strong's over all of them. It's to me, it's the most, the most um, unbiased. So you, you begin to look at this stuff, and you see that there are sometimes verses are translated intellectually from the Greek because the translators had no clue what God was talking about. I'm about to read you one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. (laughs) Now, I've got several translations here, but just let me read you a couple of the most specific ones that from my looking at the Greek the words and what it was saying, these two seem to me to be saying most closely to what I believe God was trying to say here. This is uh, the Weymouth's translation. And may God himself who gives peace make you entirely holy and may your spirits, souls, and bodies be preserved complete or whole 
and be found blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Weiss expanded translation of the New Testament says, Now may the God of peace himself consecrate you, every part of each one of you, to his worship and service. And may your spirit, soul, and body be preserved in their entirety, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you Wright's paraphrased version. May the God who is the author of peace, and if you study that word, Strong's, it says that the root word for peace is the Greek word to join. And one dictionary says that word to join means to tie together into a whole. It's the idea of taking pieces of something that's broken and putting it back together as a whole. And that's the root concept of peace. In fact, this one dictionary says that it's uh, properly wholeness. This is what peace, the word peace is. Properly wholeness, i.e., when all essential parts are joined together. Peace, parentheses, God's gift of wholeness. I have been privileged to preach on every continent but one. This is not a cultural thing. So few apostolics have personal peace. Some of us have learned how to find peace in our present circumstances. But that's peace with our circumstances. That's not eternal peace. That's not a God-given peace where the broken places in your life are healed. What I'm trying to say to you today is this. We have preached Acts 2.38 because in my, I've been racing this all my life. I had some good men were pastors as we traveled. My dad was in the Navy and we transferred. Good men. But this wasn't preached. I was molested when I was five years old. My mother caught the boy doing this. I didn't know what he was doing. I wasn't making any moral choices or lifestyle choices. She caught him. And when she did, she did what a lot of us would have done. She freaked. And I'm five years old, and in her agitated state, she's trying to communicate to me how bad this thing was that I was participating in, and I didn't hear that at age five. I heard my mother telling me I was bad. And I lived 33 years with feeling like I was hopelessly broken. Now, some people, when they go through an experience like that, they just say, what's the use? And they just give in and go to the depths. Then there's some like me who tried so hard to be good enough to finally prove everybody wrong. I'm not broken. I'm not bad. But I could never do it well enough. It never was enough. If it hadn't have been 
for a little home missions church that I went to while in flight training after I'd had the Holy Ghost for 10 years where the preacher who's only been saved five years and he'd been a bouncer in bars before he got saved had an eighth grade education but he preached something I'd never heard he preached you're supposed to preach and speak in tongues every day well I was raised in the Navy we changed pastors like we did clothes well not a little more frequently than that it was for a couple of years and we I learned I grew up learning Wherever you are, whatever the pastor says, that's gospel while you're there. Because it was never the same. It was all United Pentecostal churches, but it was never the same. And so when I walk into this church, I didn't say, well, who are you being saved five years? I'd been saved 20 plus years longer than him. Who are you saying this? And look, I got a college degree and you got an eighth grade education. I didn't do any of that. That's the pastor. He said I need to speak in tongues every day. And I probably spoke in tongues about once or twice a year. And that's another story I don't have time to get into. But because he challenged me to do that, and I was still single, I was in ground school, I started going to the church every morning. I'd go to the chapel on the base during lunch, and then in the evening I'd go back. I was probably praying four or five hours a day because, God, I, I can't do this. I don't speak in tongues easy. I can't pray. I can't speak in tongues every day. This is too hard. But I broke through. And by the time that two weeks was over with, it was easy to yield to tongues. That saved my soul. Because the, the Bible says, He that speaks an unknown tongue edifies himself. Build up your most holy faith praying in the Holy Ghost. You don't understand something. It was all of that talking in tongues that I did that gave me enough strength to survive all those bad feelings I had about myself. If I hadn't have gone to that church, if he hadn't taught me to, 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 to have a breakthrough in tongues so that I could pray and have that spiritual benefit happen to me, I wouldn't be standing here today. Because even after that, I had another 18 years or so of trying to live with shame, trying to earn God's love. And you love others like you love yourself. Well, I was pretty hard on me. You can imagine what I was in the pulpit. Well, aren't you now? No, this isn't hard at all. This is me being gentle. No, no, this is hard. Standing in the pulpit, looking at people you love, but they're not getting it. And saying... This is where we're going. This is what God's promises. This is what's going to happen. If you don't want to be a part of that, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. I'm not a proud, I'm not proud of saying that. I said that way more than one time. That's exactly how I felt too. I still feel that way. I just do differently. <laughs> you going where I'm going? You want to believe what I'm believing? You got everything I got. You just want to come sit. I'm going to love on you. That's what you're going to get. Don't expect any of my time. I'm going to find good, honest reasons why I'm not going to give you any of my time. Because you don't want to go where I'm going. But I'm going to let you sit there. Hopefully God will change your mind. Are you really that focused, Brother Ray? Nah. That's not even close to it.
I don't know why you were born. I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know if you know what you're doing here. But I wasn't born just to be saved. I was, I was born and created to have a place in the kingdom and a part of the promises. And I'm not satisfied just trying to be saved. In fact, I know me. There's no way I can be saved just trying to be saved. I got to be a part of something to stay saved. I got to know I'm not just his refuge on the side of the road. That he's going to have mercy on and pick up and go, yeah, yeah, he saved me, he picked me up. But there's a reason I'm here. It's what it takes, that's what makes all of the, messing with your message. I hope you wouldn't plan on preaching tomorrow night. Brother Morgan. <laughs> Brother Morgan preached for our, our camp last weekend. You, you know, <laughs> oh, Jesus. You can't survive today unless you have a clear understanding of where you're going tomorrow. Because where you're going, the glory that will be revealed in us is what makes all of this a light affliction. I'll say that again. If you don't have a clear picture where you're going, you can't survive today. Because it's the confidence and the glory that shall be revealed in us that gives me the strength to look at all of this and call it a light affliction. This is all temporary, but what's coming isn't. I said this is all temporary, but what's coming isn't. And if you let your present get you so bogged down that you leave, lose sight of your future in God, you're not going to make it. The God of peace. The word sanctify there doesn't just mean cleanse. It means to eliminate all negative influences. The God of peace make you whole and close all the doors that your wounds have opened in your life to negative influence. Because every wound that's not a scar is unhealed. And every wound is an open place in your heart and spirit that gives the adversary access to undermine your faith. And God's will is for you to be whole. Whole. It's the will of God for you to be whole. The opposite of peace is worry, fear, anxiety. Producing depression, discouragement. I'm so thankful for what the Lord's done for my wife. I've told a few people this, but the greatest miracle, the greatest miracle, the absolute greatest miracle was with all the negative reports coming. All the negative reports. After the first biopsy, they said the tumors were so large they couldn't do surgery right then because they didn't have any hope of getting 
clean margins even with the surgery, which meant that would just take everything into a completely different dimension. So they stopped the plans for surgery and started doing chemo right away. And the, and the, uh, the oncologist said to us, she didn't really have great confidence these drugs were going to work, but this is the best they could hope for. So, huh. four months of chemo and six weeks, eight weeks after chemo surgery. And they come back with this report. Uh, we biopsied all the material, but we couldn't find any cancer in it. And the oncologist said in her office, publicly, not in a private place, our chemo didn't do this. She said, God did this. But it was a long road before that good news. And this is the miracle. This, this is the thing I'm so thankful for. There was not one moment of one day by the grace of God that either of us were even remotely tempted to ask why. That was the third bout on this side. First time he healed it. Second time he healed it and they were able to take care of it with minor whatever. And God did that. This time, when you know how to hear from God and you know if he gives you a word, you can speak it. And it's going to be taken care of. But you know from the moment you first realize there's a problem, there's not going to be a word this time. It's going to be a journey. It's going to be a walk of faith. There's not going to be a word of deliverance or healing here. It's not going to be. I knew it. I knew it. We talked about it. We prayed about it. We knew the Lord had us going through that for a purpose. But not one time. This you don't understand. Coming from where I came from, trying all those years to earn the love of God and everything going bad, feeling like I was being punished because what did I do wrong now and what have I done? Oh, there's no hope for me. I can't get this right. To, to go from that to the degree of healing that the love of my life, the other half of myself, could be in danger of dying and never be tempted to ask God why what have we done wrong you talk about healing that's not healing that's wholeness wholeness knowing the difference between flesh and uh, emotions and spirit where even while your Im human emotions are all over the place there's such a deep abiding peace in your spirit that you never let your human emotions interfere with that deep abiding peace that's wholeness it's wholeness it's wholeness that's what God wants us to have. Do you understand that without wholeness, you, you are subject to Satan and what he's doing? You say, well, God can't, won't let him do anything. No, no. My own wounds give him permission to mess with me. My unhealed wounds give the adversary 
permission to mess with me. Those are open doors that I'm leaving open either because of unbelief or lack of knowledge or whatever. That's not the will of God for you. It's not the will of God for you. It's not the plan of God for you. He wants you to be whole. Whole. Listen to this. The, the, uh, <laughs> the Hebrew word that's the equivalent is the word shalom. You know the primary definition of the Hebrew word shalom? It's not peace. It's wholeness. Wholeness. Soundness. And the result of wholeness and soundness is health, well-being, prosperity. Peace in the midst of conflict. It's wholeness. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Why do you start with righteousness? Because righteousness is not a product of doing right. That is a lie from the pits of hell. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. And the root, uh, root definition of righteousness is innocence. And if you've offended in one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. And it doesn't matter how much good you do. You can't become innocent when you're guilty by doing good or right. Right, filthy rags. And so how do I become righteousness? He who knew. Oh, God. He who knew no sin became sin for us. First, Second Corinthians 5, 21. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made by Him, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. All my life as a kid I was taught Holiness is a gift and you should change immediately. But righteousness you've got to work for. That's false doctrine. It's a lie. Righteousness is a gift. But I'm supposed to cleanse myself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit every day. Holiness is a process. The moment you declare yourself holy, you just admitted yourself to see because from now to the day I'm out of here there's never a day that I can say I have arrived when it comes to holiness but righteous I am innocent I'm innocent and upon the foundation of that innocence I can be made whole because to be made whole is a gift I can only receive the healing and the restoration the soundness based on the fact that I don't have to earn it because I've been given rightness and without those first two there's no hope for true joy That's why those three characteristics as defined in the original languages is called the kingdom of God. Because when a person becomes innocent by gift, he who was innocent became guilty so the guilty could be made as a gift of God. 
Romans 5.19, I believe it is, says righteousness is a gift. We could be made innocent, which then lets me become whole. And now I've got joy because all of my mourning, all of my grieving over what I've done or what's been done to me and all of my past is gone. And now I've got joy, which is expectation for future good. And in that condition, I am now able for the, manif- for the kingdom of God to be made manifest t- through me to this lost world. The kingdom of God's within you. The kingdom of God comes in power. Well, why aren't we seeing more of the kingdom of God? Because we're not positioned for the kingdom of God to manifest, be manifested. The only way the kingdom of God can be manifested is when people receive Innocence as a gift that was purchased for them, which then gives them the faith to receive the wholeness, the restoration to wholeness. This isn't in my notes, but let's do it just a moment, if you would, please. Let's go to, to Joel chapter 2. We, we focus on verse 28, but let's read what it says in verse 25 and down and see what this is talking about. You want revival? You want the outpouring of the Holy Ghost? Here are the conditions that the Holy Ghost is trying to bring the, the ministry and the church to so that outpouring can happen. And I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten, the cankerworm, caterpillar, the palm worm, my great army which has sent among you. All those consuming things, those are all stages of insects that, that, that consume, that eat up your good, that consume your harvest. The harvest of what God's doing in your life or through your life. Well, restore doesn't mean you're going to give all that back. That's not what it means. The word restore there in the Hebrew actually has two parts that seem to be in contradiction. The first part is this. To cause, to be made, to be at peace with. The first step to restoration of wholeness is to make peace with the past. Doesn't mean you like it. Doesn't mean you're you're glad it happened. You just make peace with it. And then the second part of that definition of the Greek, the Hebrew word there for restore is soundness or wholeness. So the first step to restoration is you make peace with the past so you can finally let it go and turn and begin to receive him giving what's not there, wholeness. So now look to the next verse. After restoration of wholeness, next verse is, And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. I, 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 I'm not a Hebrew scholar either, but I, 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 I got a couple of books that really get in nitty-gritty of this. And, 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 and a, a couple of them said, the, the consensus of them was that that last phrase doesn't mean they... they never were ashamed. It means that God's work in their lives was so complete, it is, he makes it as if they were never ashamed and never will be again. Oh, listen to the next verse. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. Next verse. And it shall come to pass afterward. After what? After the restoration of wholeness in the people of God. 
where they're no longer vulnerable to believing that everything that doesn't go exactly their way is somehow punishment or rejection or God doesn't love them. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Oh, Brother Shout, well, I believe what you're talking about today. I believe with everything in me. I believe that's happening. Well, I didn't know that. There it is right there. Hear this? Do you hear this? Do you believe this? Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. What he prophesied, you can't produce. You want to receive it? You've got to position yourself and your church to receive it. How do I position myself in my church? Verse 25, 26, 27. I've got to help the people of God become whole. Oh, there's a slight problem with that. I can't help them get whole if I don't first get whole. You know, the thing that's so amazing about Pentecostals is, especially our brand of Pentecostal, let me tell you right now, and I believe in our doctrine. I believe in it. But, buddy, do you know how strong a person's got to be to weather all we expect of them? When their life is full of shame and wounds, and, and, and in spite of that, to, to do whatever they've got to do to grit their way through all of that? No wonder people are so hard to pastor. We only kept the hardheads. All the ones that aren't hardheaded, they couldn't make it. I'm not trying to be unkind. We're really Darwinians. Survival of the fittest. Yes, sir. Been there, done that. I, I, I did that to people. I didn't know any other way to do it. I'm not excusing it, but the only way I made any peace was I was only doing what I knew to do. I didn't know any other way to do it. The man who's the preacher tonight wasn't very well known in 84. All people knew of him, but he wasn't Lee Stonegate. And I was desperate. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was wrong with me. I, I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I knew something was wrong. It was wrong. This is bad. I spent most of my time hating myself. That's the truth. And when you try to preach the love of God to people when you hate yourself, it don't quite come out like you intended. And I can't believe the number of times I meant to say it this way, but it didn't come out that way. It didn't come out that way. And the Lord sent me to a service an hour away and told me, I've spoken to this man about you. I'd shaken his hand one time. I didn't know anything about him. And again, he wasn't famous then. Okay? And I walked in that service and sat down, and the pastor, after it was over, the pastor invited me to go home, and I said, how about to go eat with them? And I was the only visiting minister there. And I said, Brother Stone King, let how about to ride with me? He said, okay. I got in the car, put the key in, but didn't turn it on. I said, then the Lord sent me here. He said, I know. 
I said, he's told me he's spoken to you for me. He said, he has. I said, I can't tell you how desperately I need to know that word. He says, no, I know how desperately you need it. I said, well, what is it? The Lord said, the Lord, Lord has shown me that your life is one of extreme highs and extreme lows. He said, when you're up, your faith is like a bulldozer. Nothing can stand in the way. But when you're down, he said, I don't even know how you survive. You go so far down. And then he said, but, and nobody knew this. I had never discussed with any human being. My wife didn't know. Nobody knew. Nobody knew that I'd been molested. I was sure the devil had convinced me that if anybody found out I'd been molested, they'd take my car to church. He'd kick me out. My wife would be so ashamed. She'd disown me. My sons would not want to ever call me father again because I was a horrible person. What happened to me because I was five? He said, that doesn't make sense. We're not talking about logic. We're talking about emotions. And I believed it because I didn't have any other reason not to. And he said, the only thing I, and, and, and I had learned to do this, but I was so ashamed of doing it, but it was just self-preservation. He said, the only thing I can figure is, you've learned that when you're up, you put strength into people. And when you're down, the only way you make it is you draw it back out. I was so ashamed that anybody knew that because I felt so selfish. But that was the only way I could make it. And when he said that, I knew he'd heard from God. I knew he had. And so I took the bait and I said, what do you think caused this, these hills and valleys? Oh, he said, and the Lord said he's going to take away your low places. I said, what do you think's causing this? And he said, well, I think it's something that happened to you as a child. Can you remember anything? I don't know this guy. I've never discussed this with anybody in my life. I'm not about to spill my guts to him. I lied. The moment he said it, I knew what he was talking about. But I'm, I, I'm not hungry enough yet. I'm not desperate enough yet. I told him, no, no, I can't. He was so wise. He said, oh, we won't worry about that now. So he went to the house and eat. And as soon as the pastor got, we got through the meal, the pastor's wife cleaned up, got her kids out of there, and we're gone. And I, there were no cell phones then. There was no way they commute, set all that up. And as soon as their bedroom doors, the family's doors were closed, it was me, it was me and Brother Stone King. They set him right across the table from me. And the pastor was sitting right here. And when I heard that bedroom door close, I looked up, my eyes locked with his, and I thought, oh, God, my life's over with. He knows. <laughs> You've never seen an animal in a cage that felt more trapped than I did. That's the honest truth before God. And I sat there looking in his eyes. He said, now about that thing that happened to you as a child. I said, it's over. I got nothing to lose now. I might as well tell him he's going to tell me. <laughs> and I told him the story I told you. He said, well, it, how do you feel now that you've told it? I said, I don't feel any different. He said, then it's not what happened to you as a child that's the problem. It's the way what your mother said to you, the way you took that, that did this damage. Because that was based on love, not on action." I thought my mother didn't love me anymore because I was damaged goods. 
It wasn't the act of being molested. It was that I was damaged goods. I said, well, what now? He, he just kind of, this is 33 years for me. He just kind of flipped his hand and said, oh, we'll take care of it in a few minutes. <laughs> I, I, this is not one bit of exaggeration. This is absolutely the truth before God. We, take, we, we sat there talking. I don't remember another thing was said. Finally, I looked at my watch, and I had an hour driving. I said, I, I really need to go. He said, okay. So he said, let's go in the living room here so we don't disturb the family. We didn't have a hoedown. There was no great power surge. I'm serious. There was no, it, I didn't feel goosebumps. Nothing. He put his hands on his head, prayed against that spirit that was tormenting me. <clears throat> prayed against that spirit that was tormenting me. <clears throat> prayed against that spirit that was tormenting me. About 10 minutes. I spoke in tongues a little bit. We quit praying. I went home and knew I was changed. I lived with it for 33 years. But it only took the Holy Ghost a few minutes because I was desperate enough to receive it. Now, I know some of you are ready to do something about it, but I don't have a liberty to do that yet. I, I, I know what time it is, and I'm trying to hurry along here. Now, here's the controversy, okay? I got to help you with this. It's like Brother Shatwell said, if you don't have a teacher, you've got to let God teach you. I, I was raised in the Navy. There was no pastor that claimed me. There was nobody called checking up on me as a kid, as an adult. Nobody did that. I don't, I fault, I'm not faulting anybody. I understood how it worked. I, just, I understood. You're a military family. You come. They, they give you an opportunity to be involved. And whatever you, they can get out of you is fine. When you go, and there's no, no responsibility left. I understood. I knew it worked. But let me tell you the advantage of that. I never had a pastor I was afraid of contradicting as God showed me stuff. I didn't, there was never a father I had to worry about getting a revelation different than his and wondering what he was going to say about that. I'm all for having pastors and thank God for fathers. But I didn't have that. All I had was the book and the Holy Ghost. And I determined I wasn't going to be shortchanged. And so... I made up my mind. I don't care who believes what. If I can't see it in the book for myself, I'm not following it. I am a district superintendent. I have a responsibility in that office to uphold the manual, and I do my job. But I am not loyal to the manual. I'm loyal to the Bible. You may memorize the manual, but I'm memorizing the book. And if there's a conflict between the two, and I'm thankful to serve with the district board that feels exactly the same way. 
We're not, don't go get out there with some far out stuff. Okay. Why did he say sanctify your whole body, soul, and spirit? Closed doors, whatever. Because <laughs> we have been taught traditionally that a Holy Ghost filled person cannot have demonic activity in their life. And that's all because we don't know what the scripture says. Jesus told the Pharisees, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Question, is, does having the Holy Ghost mean you're saved? How could people say, we've cast out devils in your name, we've done miracles in your name, and he said, depart from me, I never knew you. They prophesied in his name, cast out devils in his name. And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. They didn't do that stuff. He never denied who, what was working through him, them to do that. He never questioned that. They had the Holy Ghost. And, that all, and all of that manifestation happened through them. But he said, I never knew you. Here's the problem. Body, soul, and spirit. This is, this is, a, this is a big lesson. And I'm only going to take just a few moments with it. Body, soul, and spirit. Body outside. Soul is in the middle. Spirit is on the inside of that. Okay. Those are the three parts of man. You say, well, what about the heart and mind? The heart and mind are both a part of the soul. The mind is the conscious part of the heart. I mean the soul. And the, and the, the, the heart is the subconscious part of the soul. Heart and mind are the two parts, conscious and subconscious, of the soul. Your flesh is not accountable to God. And the spirit came from God who gave it. That's not really yours. At death, the spirit goes back to God which gave it. The body goes back to the dust from which it came. And the soul is either going to go to the resting place of the righteous dead or the, or the place of torment for the unrighteous dead awaiting the great judgment. All of that's book. I don't have time to give you all it, but it's there. Okay, so the only part of me that's me, totally me, is the soul. And it's the soul that has a heart and mind, conscious part, subconscious part. And the subconscious part is so important out of the heart of the issues of life. As a man thinketh his heart, so is he. That determines, it's not the mind. Because the conscious mind is the part of my soul that relates to the natural world. The heart of the soul, the inner man, is the part of me that relates to God through the spirit that's in me. Where do I receive the Holy Ghost? 1 Corinthians 6, verse uh, 16, I believe it is, that says, that may not be exactly, but it's real close. It says, he that is joined unto the Lord has become one spirit. Just two verses to that. He said that we're not supposed to join the temple of God, which is my body, with a harlot. It's the same Greek word join there and join the other. We know what the word join means when it comes to a harlot. It's talking about an intimacy of male coming into female. And so when that same exact word is used two verses later to talk about the spirit of God coming into the spirit of man, and becoming one, we understand that spiritual intimacy. That's why we're the bride and he's the groom. 
Because when we become one, He comes into us. Forgive me for believing the Bible. That's what it says. And that's the context in which it's said. Here's the problem. Do I have the Holy Ghost in my little finger? No. Do I have the Holy Ghost in my ear? No. I only have the Holy Ghost in my spirit. My spirit and God's spirit become one through the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's why I can have the Holy Ghost, but my soul can make choices contrary to the Spirit and to the Word. Because I don't have the Spirit in my soul. So what happens? Almost immediately, the Spirit of God begins to work on my will, which is one of the chief manifestations of a soul. That's why the soul is the part that's accountable. So therefore, the Spirit of God's in my spirit begins to work on my soul to bring my will into submission to God. That's why he says, if any man will be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. The Greek word there for deny doesn't mean say no to self. It means to disavow ownership of self. So what is the battle? Being crucified with Christ doesn't mean you're in pain all the time. Being crucified with Christ means that you have won the battle with your will by the grace and the empowerment of God and your will is not exercising itself in a manner contrary to the will of the, uh, the Spirit and the manifestation of the Word of God in your spirit. What about the flesh? He isn't going to bypass your will to work on your flesh. And that's why people can have the Holy Ghost while God works on their will and they still do some stuff in the flesh they shouldn't be doing. Is that okay? Of course not. But that's God's pattern because it's far more important to Him to work on your will. That's the part He's trying to save, the soul. If He can get His Spirit into your spirit and then gain king dominion over your soul because you surrender dominion of your soul to Him, then having power over your flesh is no big deal. That's why it says, If I walk in the Spirit, I shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I can't do the will of my soul and walk in the Spirit. I can't walk in the Spirit till I've first allowed God to win the battle with my will. Here's the problem. Satan wants to be like the Most High. Where does he want to sit? He wants to sit on the throne of the Most High. What throne is he talking about? The throne of my life. Where is the throne of my life? My spirit. So what he does is he works on my flesh, enticing, enticing, enticing to get me to begin to fall. If I begin to habitually fall in a certain area, he sets up a stronghold. And from that stronghold, he then begins to work on my will. And that what he does is through that stronghold, he convinces me in that one area that I can't not do that. And once he gains that position in my will, then he begins to broaden his base. It's just plain, just it's just military tactics. It's simple military. We're not ignorant of his devices or his stratagems. 
His strategies. That's what the Greek word is there. We're not ignorant. His strategies. So once he set up, once he set up this stronghold in the will, he begins to broaden his base. The ultimate goal is in view. At this point, if there's any Holy Ghost left in my spirit, he's got to vacate because I now have given Satan access to my spirit. I am not demon-possessed biblically until Satan is allowed in God's place in my spirit. So, can a person have the Holy Ghost in their spirit and strongholds that are established in their flesh? Oh, let's see. Let's see. I think there's a verse that says something like this. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. I think it's something like this. And there, let's see. Oh, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Next verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Where are these strongholds at? Next verse. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You you hear what this is saying? That's not talking about my spirit. That's talking about strongholds that have been established in my life that I've got to choose which way this is going to go. Well, how about this one? 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. He's not talking about sinners. He's not talking about sinners. If God prevents, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Next verse. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The word captive is prisoner of war. Captured by sword. What sword? Well, if the sword of the Spirit is the word of God, then what is the devil's sword? What he says to us that we accept and believe. And when you have open doors in your life called wounds and he's using those to influence and talk to you and you begin to believe what he says, then you give him authority in your life in that area. I really appreciate the way you're receiving this. I know to some of this, this, some of you, this is so contrary to what you've always been taught and believed. I mean this as sincerely as I need. I, I, I know how to say it. I don't feel any opposition. You're trying to understand it. You, you, you're not sure if you agree with it yet, but you're not opposing it. And, and I, that, uh, that is so absolutely, uh, I just, I'm humbled by that, and I thank you for it. The problem is, let's say, just for argument's sake, what if everything I just said is true? What does that work? How does that work? Well, let me tell you what happened. We were about four or five years old, and it was during this period of time. If you can't do this right, get out. 
Two ladies, this is the truth, two ladies the same day visit our church the first time. Word of God was preached. They both came down to the altar and both kneeled just to the right of the pulpit. Two of them. They didn't know each other. They, I didn't know anything about them. They both came down. They both prayed, wept, and both of them received the Holy Ghost. The one that wept the most and spoke in tongues the most. The problem was they both were smokers. This one right here on my right, she wept and prayed and received the Holy Ghost and got up from that altar and after she was baptized, never smoked again. Never struggled with it. Never had a problem with it. This lady, oh, Lord have mercy. I can't tell you the hours I put in begging, threatening, hanging her over hell, propping her up, everything I could think of to try to help her. She could not stop smoking. I had never been taught anything about it. I didn't know anything. This smoking sin, you quit. Well, the lady quit smoking. We, we were young and had needed all kind of help. Well, she straightened her life out, and we started using her. This other lady who was actually more on fire, not going to use you, you're smoking. Well, I don't, I'm, I'm not changing my mind on that. That's not the point. But I'm telling you what, that poor lady, I preached to her from the pulpit so many times and everybody knew. And she must have wanted God because she kept coming back. And I know this is a novel idea, but I finally said, Lord, what's going on here? I know it's a novel idea to ask that. But I finally did. I said, Lord, what's going on here? And when I asked, he said, she's got a spirit of nicotine. A what? He said, every lust of the flesh has a corresponding demonic spirit of that type that attempts to utilize a fleshly habit to gain authority through it to set up a stronghold. He says to me, the lady that quit smoking, it was still just flesh for her. So when she repented, it took care of it. Repentance removed the sin because it was a work of the flesh. But this lady had smoked so long that there was a spirit of nicotine that had set up a stronghold in her body and she could repent all her she wanted. Repentance take care of sin, but you got to cast out a spirit. You can't repent a spirit out of your body. Well, Light, <laughs> hope, next service. I didn't wait for a whole bunch of singing. I didn't wait for the altar call. I'm so desperate for this lady. I said, sister, I called her sister. Come up here. God's going to help you today. She came up there and I gave a really quick, brief explanation of what I just said to you. And you're going to be free right now. I put my hand on her head. In Jesus' name, I bind this spirit of nicotine. I command you to loose this body now. Never smoked again. 
How many good people, because of our ignorance, we really don't know, have we run off because they just couldn't get it right? They needed our help, but we couldn't give them what we haven't received. Let's pray for just a moment. See, the question is this. How bad you want to see revival? How bad you want to see revival? You can't give what you haven't received. You don't have to have the same problem as somebody else. But if you've got wounds that aren't healed, you can't believe for their wounds to be healed. You can't do it. You can't believe for their wounds to be healed. If you haven't let God heal your wounds... He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be whole. He wants the doors that give access in your life to these spirits. Remember what Peter said to Cornelius' house? That Jesus went about healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. Because the healing wasn't just a deliverance. It was a closing of the door to that spirit of oppression, depression, fear, worry, torment, whatever it is. There's some precious people sitting here. Pastors, pastors' wives, people of God. You have irrational fear that comes on you. It just overwhelms you. Everything, stuff goes on and you're just absolutely overwhelmed by it. You don't know what's wrong. You don't know why it happens to you. You don't know how to fix it. You're paralyzed. And, And every time things start going well, his little voice says, Just hang on. It's all about to fall apart because it always does. And here's the unspoken part because that's all you deserve. It's a lie. I'm going to say again what I said in the first part of this. This is the Holy Ghost right here. You are here on purpose. However you got here. Whatever may, however you ever found out about this meeting whatever caused you to want to come the people that God moved on to give to help pay your way to get here because we love you and we want to see you receive all you could do God brought you here knowing he, he, it is his will for you to leave here whole but you don't know how long it's been like this brother right oh let me tell you something I know all about a long time not being whole but I also know that once we connect in the spirit to God and we are willing to let him heal us it doesn't take him all day my God 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 Jesus' name, Jesus' name, Jesus' name. You don't have to tell us all your story. The Lord did that with me just so I'd have a testimony so you'd know I understood what I was talking about. But I've told thousands of people this, one-on-one and in groups, 
and congregations. Whatever is happened in your life, you are welcome to keep that private between you and God as long as you let Him help you with it. Come on, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I need I need the, the, the you men and women of God that have received healing to come begin position yourself to help me pray. We're going to pray. We're going to pray a group prayer right now. Come on, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I give you every wound in my life that's happened to me, everything that's been done to me, things that were not done that should have been done. I give you these wounds. I can't heal them myself. I can't fix them myself, Jesus. I give them to you, Jesus. I commit them to you. I release them to you in the name of Jesus. I let you have them, Lord. You promised me wholeness. I'm believing you for wholeness today. Jesus, close these doors and make me whole. In the name of Jesus, I receive healing today. I receive deliverance today. I receive wholeness today. In the name of Jesus, I take dominion and authority over every lying, deceiving, tormenting spirit that wars against my brothers and my sisters. I bind you in the name of Jesus. I command you to loose them in the name of Jesus. Loose their minds. Loose their hearts. Loose their souls. Loose their flesh in the name of Jesus. I tear down every stronghold in the flesh and in the soul that's been set up by the powers of darkness. I command you to be to come down I defeat you in the name of Jesus I pull you down by the name of Jesus through the blood of Jesus be free in Jesus name be free in Jesus name come help me pray please in the name of Jesus be free